welcome to Good Medicine Explained. I am your host, Dr. James R. Brown. This is episode number nine for the week of July 26, 2020. Every day, my staff receives phone calls from patients asking what the appropriate medical course of action should be. They call for a variety of reasons, ranging from a mild fever for a few days to serious acute chest pains. Very often, intelligent and experienced individuals are at a loss as to what to do for themselves when it comes to their health. Most of this difficulty is based upon the complex medical system that is practiced in the United States today. Insurance companies have attempted to contain expenses by assigning and appropriating medical care reimbursement through specific service sites that are most appropriate. Medical care is least expensive and more consistently delivered through a medical office or group practice. The most expensive health care delivery and service is provided through the emergency room and inpatient hospital admissions. Naturally, Responsible individuals want to receive appropriate medical care without incurring undue additional expenses. As we are moving through this current COVID-19 pandemic era, health care in the United States is facing its own crisis in terms of resources that are available to attend to the needs of the general population. In addition, our health care system has been based primarily on employment or disability as the means to obtaining coverage. As more and more small and large businesses are being forced to furlough or lay off individuals, more and more Americans are going to be facing the unthinkable process of not having adequate resources for medical care. It is to this point that I think all of us need to be aware of how to prepare for our own medical care as best as possible, and when and where higher levels of medical care should be obtained. In this episode, I try to provide practical advice on what medical conditions can safely and appropriately be addressed at home first, as well as how to prepare your very own home first aid kit. I then go on to describe where appropriate medical care should be obtained in the urgent care or the emergency room. In simple terms, an urgent care is an extension of a doctor's medical office. A patient is able to receive pretty much the same medical care and services that they would receive in their physician's office, with the exception of possibly being able to obtain a few basic x-rays if indicated. An emergency room is primarily designed to quickly assess and stabilize potentially life-threatening medical problems and critical injuries before serious loss of physical functioning or imminent death occurs. In the process of providing medical care through different facilities and locations, the continuity of care for an individual becomes more fragmented. With the fragmentation of medical care and services, 
confusion regarding who is doing what and which site has what information exacerbates personal time lost by the patient and sometimes additional expenses in terms of repeating tests and other studies. Not only do I have my individual practice, but I also take weekly shifts at a local urgent care facility. Through these two different sites, I see firsthand how and why many patients seek medical attention. In my humble opinion, the term urgent care is a misnomer. In America, healthcare is a commodity, and the patient is a customer. And the term urgent is most often defined by what is most convenient and expedient for the patient. I have seen and treated patients in the urgent care for simple things, such as routine first aid they could have done at home or medical symptoms that developed in very short periods of time, less than an hour prior to presenting to the urgent care. I've also encountered minor chronic conditions that have existed for several months. Some individuals have no recourse because they happen to work in late hour time shifts that do not enable them to be assessed in doctor's offices on routine traditional day schedules. Other unscrupulous individuals utilize the urgent care to sometimes get medical excuses for unvalidated absences from work. The first place medical care is most likely going to be rendered is at home. Therefore, to start, I will be mentioning several routine supplies, although not extensive, that every dwelling should stock and have available. An individual should be able to handle minor first aid injuries, insect bites, skin abrasions and scrapes, splinters, that sort of thing. While a store-bought pre-packaged first aid kit is convenient and nice to have, you can make your own first aid kit and restock and replenish items in it as needed. I recommend getting an inexpensive small toolbox from Home Depot or Lowe's and you should really try to keep your first aid kit in your kitchen or bedroom but not in your bathroom where humidity and moisture can damage some of the supplies. In a good stocked first aid kit you should have a mask and gloves, disinfectant sprays or antiseptic wipes, band-aids, safety pins, tape, gauze in 2 by 2 inch or 4 by 4 inch, scissors, cotton balls, q-tips, rubber bands or tourniquets. You also should have alcohol or hydrogen peroxide or neosporin ointment. It's nice to have instant cold packs, or if you're at home, just ice out of your freezer will do for acute injuries. Having ACE wraps in 2-inch, 3-inch, or 4-inch wide dimensions will be helpful for helping to compress injuries from swollen or sprained ankles, 
knees, and other limbs. Ziploc plastic bags are also helpful to store some supplies and separate out items for easy access. It's also nice to have a magnifying glass, fine tweezers, and a flashlight in your first aid kit to help with minor injuries uh, or splinters. Having a paper ruler or tape measurer is also helpful for getting dimensions of lacerations or wounds or for making other measurements. And recently, your cell phone camera has become an excellent source for documenting injuries and bruises and scrapes and skin rashes and other changes that may be visible to the surface of our bodies. Every home should also have standard equipment to take what we call vital signs. Your temperature, your blood pressure, your pulse, your weight. So everyone should have an honest measurement of their height barefooted. Uh, You shouldn't be wearing shoes when you're making an assessment of your height because that artificially makes you taller than you truly are. Weight should be done in pounds. Uh, Some people use kilograms, although here in the United States it's not common. But what's going to become more important in the future is not so much your total body mass or weight, but the body fat percent. An inference about your health is uh, more likely going to be made by the percent of body fat that you're retaining uh, than your total body weight. The thermometer is excellent to have. A normal temperature is 98.6. In the medical profession, we don't describe a fever as any temperature below 100 degrees Fahrenheit. In certain instances, Some people are having fevers at 99 degrees, but that's not too common. As far as your blood pressure is concerned, it's optimum that you have a cuff that will secure around your arm and you can inflate uh, and get a measurement of your blood pressure and possibly your pulse on that sphingmanometer. A normal blood pressure is 120 to 130, over 70 to 80 millimeters of mercury. If your sphingmanometer that takes your blood pressure does not give out a reading on your pulse, you can simply do it yourself by using your index finger on your opposing radial artery near your wrist and feeling the pulse and you watch a clock for 15 seconds and multiply by 4, or for 30 seconds and multiply by 2, and that will give you your heart rate in one minute. As far as your medications, I encourage patients who take more than one or two medications to keep an updated monthly medication list in their wallet or purse including any allergies. It's also good to have an emergency contact, a family member or a neighbor or even your doctor's office on hand for such a a purpose. 
in special medical conditions, other circumstances or equipment need to be provided. If you're a diabetic or pre-diabetic, you probably should have a glucometer and a log of some of your blood pressures, either that you've written down or that are retained in the memory section of the glucometer. If you're an asthmatic, you probably will need a home nebulizer with the fillable solution for the reservoir. Or, if you also have respiratory issues, you may benefit from having a humidifier or a vaporizer or even a room air purifier for people who have allergies. If you get injured or have various body aches and discomforts, a massage device is nice to have, especially if it's cordless so you can move around to areas of your body without having the cord tangle around you. If you're disabled, you want to make sure that you have some home safety equipment available as well. You want to have available armrests and the handles for your bathroom or areas like the handrails and stairs so that you can avoid falls. If you have special problems or circumstances like taking anticoagulants or seizure disorders or dementia or some other disability, you probably want to have an alert bracelet or an alert device around your neck that you keep for emergency circumstances. If you have difficulty ambulating, you might want to have a cane or a walker or a wheelchair or arm crutches. It's also nice for comfort to have extra pillows or a reclining chair to position yourself to optimize your comfort. If you're a person who has hemorrhoids, a sits bath, it's a good small uh, like bedpan about four inches thick that can be placed on top of a standard toilet. It can be filled with warm water with salt dissolved in it like Epsom salt and you can sit for five ten minutes in that salt water bath to help soothe and ease the discomfort from hemorrhoids. It's important for every household to keep a home supply for acute illness symptoms like fevers, body aches, congestion, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. So most homes should uh, keep a supply of medications that haven't expired. Always make sure that you're looking for the expiration date on these medications. A cough syrup or decongestant syrup is always good to have. Benadryl is helpful for encountering allergic reactions, and it can actually double as a sleep aid if you're having difficulty sleeping. Sudafed is also a good standard decongestant, but you have to be careful that you don't have a medical condition like hypertension. For body aches and fevers and other discomforts, Tylenol, Motrin, Advil, or Aleve is good to keep on supply. 
topical analgesics, sports creams like Icy Hot, Ben Gay, Tiger Bomb, and those sorts of things are good to have if you get any type of musculoskeletal strain or injury. If you get skin problems like rashes or eruptions, hydrocortisone cream or witch hazel for things like insect bites are nice to have on hand. If you experience sudden chest pain and you suspect that possibly you might be having a heart attack, it's good to have a baby aspirin, an 81 milligram tablet available at home to take right away. If you think you're having a stroke, you do not want to take aspirin because that might actually worsen things. For digestive symptom problems like heartburn, indigestion, reflux, diarrhea, medications like Tums, Pepto-Bismol, Milk of Magnesia, Imodium, Dramamine for nausea, Colace for constipation are excellent to have also. For nausea, natural products like ginger or peppermint or lemon juice or carbonated drinks are helpful. Keeping a supply of broth is also a good idea. It's also good in case you're becoming dehydrated to have a supply of water as well as possibly tea or Gatorade or other electrolyte solutions. Now, if you've made an effort to care for yourself at home and you aren't getting better or the injury is more serious, then the second place you should seek medical attention is your doctor's office. Your primary physician should know who you are and be familiar with all your past medical and surgical histories, your medications, your consulting physicians, and those types of things. Provided your condition is not serious and it's not improving, and if it isn't possible to see your primary physician in the next 24 to 48 hours when you call, then you might consider going to an urgent care. When you go to an urgent care, it also is going to depend a lot on your pre-existing medical conditions. If you have an extensive history of medical problems and you're considered to be sensitive or frail because of the multiple medical problems, you might even bypass an urgent care in favor of an ER where more comprehensive and thorough assessments can be made. But generally, as I said, the urgent care is a facility that's really an extension of a physician's office. So if you've had illness symptoms for one to three days or experienced a minor injury like a fall, a bump, a bruise, or you've been in a minor auto accident where there weren't serious injuries and people taken by ambulance to emergency rooms, it would be suitable to use an urgent care. Other conditions like asthmatics that are having some increased shortness of breath or uh, persons that have diabetes and are having some uh, issues can be assessed in an urgent care as well.
When you go to an emergency room, it's usually because you've just experienced a sudden, intense, or serious physical change, such as a serious acute injury. You've been in a motor vehicle accident. You've lost consciousness. You're having intense pain. Or maybe you're thinking it's a stroke and you're having difficulty speaking or moving or severe weakness. Or if you're having difficulty breathing, you're choking, or you've had a seizure, or any type of loss of consciousness or heavy bleeding that can't be controlled, acute burns from a fire directly to your skin, or you've had sudden loss of vision, you're unable to urinate, you have intense or severe headache like the worst headache of your life, severe crushing chest pain, abdominal or flank pain, or bright red blood in the urine, or you're vomiting what looks like yellow-green vomit or bile, or if you're a pregnant lady and you're having complications such as sudden vaginal bleeding before your term is due, or you're no longer feeling the baby move, or possibly you're dehydrated and you're diabetic and have blood sugars that are higher than 400 or 500 milligrams per deciliter. These are all descriptions of situations where an emergency room is the more appropriate place to go. Or possibly you have a pre-existing medical condition such as cancer which is rendering you immune suppressed or you have heart disease and you're taking medications to maintain your heart to pump, or you have moderate to severe COPD, or you're a poorly controlled diabetic and have had multiple hospitalizations and amputations and other problems, or kidney failure, or you had a recent surgery in the last week or two, or you're in an advanced age 85 or older and have other medical conditions, or you've had multiple previous hospitalizations, or you have a complex medical problem like HIV infection, the emergency room, definitely the best place to go for those kinds of problems. Lastly, if you do end up going to an urgent care or ER, it's a good idea to get a written copy of everything that was done during the encounter with the results of all tests or procedures done there so you can share those with your primary care physician, especially if they made any changes in your medications or any special tests that were done. So the take-home message from this episode today is medical care is expensive. So prepare to provide as much care as you can appropriately do at home. If you don't already have one, start collecting items for a first aid kit and have a few medications on hand for minor acute illnesses. An urgent care is really an extension of a doctor's office. It serves as a bridge to provide medical care in the short term until you can be assessed again by your primary physician in the next couple of days.
the emergency room is best utilized for acute severe medical conditions or chronic conditions that pose immediate life-threatening problems or cannot wait for more than a couple of hours. If this particular topic or any of the previous episodes have provoked questions for you, be reassured that I do regular Q&As on my Instagram account at jrbrownmd, where you may submit your questions there through direct message. However, I emphasize that I do not serve as a replacement or substitute for your own personal physicians, nor do I provide individualized consultations outside of my practice. As always, I'd like to give a special thanks to my podcast team, Lauren and Natalie, who really are responsible for making this podcast possible. So, until our next opportunity, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be loved, and may you have a peaceful heart. Thank you.